Welcome back. Everyone gets a trophy. It is Kevin. It is Paul. And uh, we're doing this midday, Tuesday. We're going to release one early. It's already been a busy day for both of us, Paul, but tons of energy over here. No coffee needed. All right. I like that. And uh, you're not spent. Sometimes we get you after you've already done your uh, afternoon show and you've talked for four hours. And then we have to squeeze performance out of you with a little Adderall coffee and uh, (laughs) my promptings and jabbing you with a sharp stick. So we're going to have high energy, Kevin. You know, I got to say, man, you talk for a living four day, you know, five days a week, sometimes six days a week, right? Depending on how it falls. Right. And uh, do you ever get? Compl- I mean, obviously, you probably don't want to talk when you get home, no. or or do you? No, I don't. Uh, and that that's the other thing too is that I'm one of the people that's in the industry that uh, I, I like to talk, but it's not probably not as much as other people that are in the industry, and to where it's really uh, scratching an itch. And whereas for me, I love to talk sports and give my ideas and all that. And I do love talking. But, yeah, when I get home, I, I don't like to talk. I like to listen a lot and read. Read? Yeah, I know. That shocked you. Top to bottom, okay. left, left to right. Come on, Paul. <laughs> no, what about you, though? I mean, are, are you one of those people? And, and that, that's actually been a problem for me in relationships at times where I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all talked out. And, and rightfully so, they're like, well, I want to talk. Yeah, it could be an issue. Uh, my, yeah, I, I mean, I'll just say sometimes, like, can we just not talk? Can we just go do something outside? Or yeah. I like to do outdoor stuff, as you know, too. Yes. And there's times when you're doing a hike or you're doing something outdoors and it's, it's fun to have a companion, a hiking person, and you're chatting and you're talking about random stuff and it's great. There's other times when you're in pristine, perfect, beautiful wilderness. Everyone needs to take the little social cue to shut up. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I mean, and now it's not so much that, that they're talking as that, as it, you know, they're always recording something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other part that I have issues with is people who, they want to have the adventure or have the trip on Facebook more in reality, right? Yeah. You'll see this with parents and their kids where they're making the kids take a thousand photos so they can put it on Facebook. And it's sort of like, hey, why don't you just enjoy the moment organically with your kid? And if you, if you think of it, snap a photo. And if it works out, great. If not, no problem. But it shouldn't, the experience shouldn't be about you showing it to people. The experience should be about the experience that you're having or the experience you're having with your friend or with your child or with your, your loved one. Yeah, enjoying life, especially if there are professionals there recording it for you. Like if you have box seats at the World Series, you're at the, you're at the NBA Finals and you're courtside and you're recording that. I mean, maybe for a second during a break, but like during action, no, uh, pros have you covered. Enjoy that yeah, moment. I- I thought you were briefly talking about our, our brief foray into porno, but yeah, no, you mean no. that before. <laughs> oh God. Hey, Kevin. Yo. Brilliant banter like that that has us shooting up the iTunes charts. And I wanna I wanna share a couple of great customer reviews we got recently. Uh, we always encourage you guys to go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. It means a lot to us. And uh, it's really, we really appreciate it when you do so. Plus, we love having the feedback, whether it's positive, negative, neutral, you ask a question, whatever it is, we like to hear it. And uh, we heard recently from a guy, AWR36, and reading their handles is really stupid. I don't know why I do it. But he or she wrote, really enjoy listening to you guys. Very much my style of sarcasm and sports mixed together. Keep up the good work. Oh, and here's some good information, Kevin. Yeah. He writes, 
Oh, and the bank vacuum tube is very much alive in my neck of the woods. Oh, okay. Talked I, about the bank vacuum tube and our, our love of that in the last podcast. Right, right. It, I'm surprised that, that I mean, is, is it the same one? It's got to be a little different, right? Like some, there's something new age about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. No, I'm there's fascinated. It's got to be covered in foam or Nerf, so right. there's liability somehow. You can't get your hand caught in it. You want to hear a good, good hand caught in something story, which illustrates the stupidity of my childhood? Yeah. So you know when you bowl, the bowling ball, of course, you know, after one of my throws, it's a strike, obviously. And so it's resetting the pins. The ball's coming back underground, seemingly through magic, right? And then it pops up through that hole in that little machine that the ball pops out. Right. And well, so as a kid, I was really excited to bowl. I, you know, I'm sure I had the gutters up and I was rolling a smooth, you know, headed towards a smooth 75 for the day on my game. But the ball was coming up. And as it did, I reached in the hole to grab the ball because I couldn't wait the quarter second for the ball to actually come out. And the ball got lodged and jammed against my hand and my hand got trapped in there. Oh, God. And, of course, it's got little rollers, right? So yeah. it's trying to forcibly push the ball out through my hand, which is not going to move. And uh, I had an intense moment of pain. They had to shut down Dart Bowl on Burnett, Burnett Road. Yeah. And uh, this some guy who, who looked like Nick the computer tech, right? He had, like, a uh, utility belt on his, uh, on, his, on his waist, and he was angry. His hair was all mussed up, and he showed up, and he's wearing Coke bottle glasses, and he had to to take apart the bowling machine and uh, free my six-year-old hand from the bowling machine. Oh so uh, there's a little tale of Austin and nostalgia, which relates to this next review. We got it from Richard Fleer. Do you know who Richard Fleer is? No. Rick Flair. No, it's not. Get out of here. That's his real name. Oh, is it really? No, no. Yeah, yeah. Richard Flair. I mean, so Richard Flair is yeah. his real name. He goes by Rick Flair. So I didn't know that. Yeah, I had to figure it out myself. Two guys who are so funny, shouldn't know so much about sports to be able to break down football on a granular level. Absolutely must listen if you're a Texas Longhorn fan to keep up with the current events. If you're a Texas grad of a certain age who remembers the lowlights of the McWilliams and Makovic eras <laughs> and Austin of that time, it will really scratch your nostalgia itch. Oh, that's a, nice that's a great review. I don't know if Very I'm, nice. that's one of the best I've gotten in 20 years. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, thanks a lot. I think the first uh, the first one, CWR, I think he follows me on Twitter. He's got some interesting oh, cool. interesting things to say. All right. Well, we appreciate uh, Rick Flair as well. Woo! Woo! Yeah, even, even right. I know that one. That's right. You're, so I'm not a huge wrestling person, like the, the grown men who are still into wrestling and buy pay-per-views and stuff. I'm not that guy, but I certainly watched wrestling, and if I'm flipping through channels and wrestling's on, particularly if I'm watching with a girl, I'll, I'll keep it on wrestling for a second just to see what her reaction is mm -hmm. and uh, – it's, it always amuses me. I, I don't, but I, I don't have the depth of knowledge that some people have. The last wrestling event I went to, or the only one I went to, was a buddy's birthday party, and it was at the Drum, and it was all the big names back in the day. We were like eight or oh, nine. Okay. I mean, it was Hulk Hogan, you know, uh, Roddy Piper, Junkyard Dog. I don't think Andre the Giant was there, but but they, it was all the big names, and that was the only one I, I went to. And as a kid, you know, I was fired up about it. But, yeah, at some point, like, pretty early on, I just – I think once I realized it was fake, I was one of those kids that, that probably felt hurt 
you know, and and yeah. and that they were just trying to hoodwink me. And so never got back into it. But yeah, I know a lot of adults. I didn't realize there were that many adults that watch it. Oh, yeah, I've got a good. So I only went one time, too, and I ran into some of those adults. So when I was 15 years old, I think a sophomore in high school, me and a bunch of my football buddies wanted to go. It's the Irwin Center, just like you went. It was Hulk Hogan. It was that exact same era. We got to see the Road Warriors, though, which when you're 15 years old, do you remember those guys? I do vaguely. Yeah. Animal and Hawk. And they wear the uh, the Mad Max. Right. Football yes. pads. And they so uh, Hawk, his son is A.J. Hawk who ended up being the linebacker for Ohio State, right? Oh, okay. So uh, Hawk and Animal, those were their names. And they had the Iron Man theme song. And their whole gimmick was just that they're indestructible, right? They'd come out and just destroy the other tag team, and everyone would glory in their amazing uh, performance. Hulk Hogan had a title match against Mr. Perfect. And Mr. Perfect was a heel, we all bought Mr. Perfect t-shirts and pulled for the heel. Of course you did. Of course. So it was a bunch of 15-year-old kids, sophomores in high school, pulling for the heel. We were surrounded by grown men screaming at us, throwing things at us. Oh we got God. into an altercation Jeez. with a bunch of guys in their 30s. Jeez. And uh, not to their credit, they didn't come out on top. But they ended up getting kicked out by security. And we're a bunch of 15-year-olds. Beat the shit out of them. Like, oh, we were just going crazy. And every time, and of course, you know, typical Hulk Hogan thing, Mr. Perfect is beating his ass the entire match. But then Hulk Hogan is on his knees, and, he, and he's about to get choked out. But he lifts his hand, and the crowd starts to, to scream. And then Hulk starts to get power and energy from the screams. And then he recovers. And then, of course, he, he beats Mr. Perfect. And when that happened... We had grown men running up to us, putting their fingers in our faces, screaming like, that's what you get. That's what you that's get. That's what you get. Jeez. Being 15, thinking like, this is great. This is awesome. I love being the heel. But also, this is scary. Yeah. These are grown men. And it was my first insight into, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of think when you grow up, you'll have all the answers and, and grown ups sort of have it all together. I had this insight that, Maybe grown-ups don't have it all together. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I, I don't know if you were like me, but I, I had this utopic vision in my head that all adults were like a lot of the adults I saw. Yes. And, yeah, I'm, I'm and you realize that as you get older and you go, oh, man, these are just big kids. Yeah, they, they don't know anything either. And the dynamics of adulthood are no different than junior high sometimes. Oh, a, a lot. And that's the other thing. When they say, oh, once you get out of junior high, now that's going to continue. That's going to be in the workplace. It's going to be everywhere. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the dynamics that's going pretty well right now as I do this flawless, seamless segue like a true radio professional. Well, I was hoping that the, the drum was a pretty easy segue, right? Oh, spin your magic for me, Kevin. I don't see the connection. Uh, well, I mean, we're going Texas basketball, right? No. Oh, you're going, you're going Gabe. All right. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, you're the pro. You do it. Stage is yours. Hey, why don't you sit back for a second? Take a couple (laughs) notes. I will. Free up your hands. I will. Write, write, write this down. Do you have time? Go grab a pen real quick. Okay, Kevin. Got one right here. Okay. Do you have something to write on other than your hand? I do. Okay. Because I know you've told me in the past that you write a lot of your notes for the radio show on your hand, but then you get sweaty and then you can't read it. I know. Uh, the, the remote's outdoors. It's awful. 
That's why, I, that's why I like H-E-B, the, the, the freezer section. That, that's why you love it when they put you near the produce aisle in H-E-B right. off of William Cannon, right? Yes, exactly. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I want to talk about mortgage solutions, and we're beating the drum for mortgage solutions, Whoa. Kevin. How about that? Whoa. How about that? So uh, Gabe has been really happy with this sponsorship. We've been happy with him, and we're happy with you guys because you guys have been burning up his phone lines, which for good reason. One, we're in a phenomenal mortgage interest rate environment. Obviously, there's an, this is, mortgage rates are at an all-time – interest rates, I should say, are at an all-time low – and they may be kind of staying here for a while if you're reading the international news about coronavirus and all these other things that could have a depressive effect on the economy. So that said, these are historical lows. Strike while the iron's hot. So no matter what your existing mortgage is, or if you're in the market for a mortgage and you maybe have a little bit of an older quote from someone that you've gone with, it is worth your time to call Gabe at 832-557-1095. Mention this podcast. Gabe straight away is going to take 500 bucks off your closing, which is phenomenal. However, if you have a thousand, if pardon me, I'm already, I'm already messing it up. Don't take these notes, Kevin. I've already screwed it up. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Cross that out. All right. Continue. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, you did cross out the whole thing that I screwed up, correct? Oh no. Oh, okay. Right. Well, there's a lot of magic on that pad. Continue. Good stuff. Okay. If you have a good faith estimate, another lender on a new mortgage or on a refi, contact Gabe. He will beat it by $1,000. That's in addition to the $500 he's going to give you off closing. That's a phenomenal deal. That's why his phone lines are burning up right now. And uh, this is a really unique opportunity to refi or to get an existing or get a new mortgage uh, and really pay the lowest rate in history and basically get an amazing uh, deal because you're effectively getting 1500 bucks off of what you would normally pay. And I want to mention something else. If you are a higher income person in the market for a jumbo loan, uh, and you're looking to get a little bit more expensive house, Gabe is an expert in this area. And a lot of high net worth individuals, Kevin, they don't necessarily have normal W-2 jobs. Right. <laughs> they're, small, they're small business people. Yeah. They've got a lot of different things going on. They've got stock options sometimes. And Gabe understands that. And that's why he doesn't need you to show income in a conventional way to get a jumbo loan. He's really good at this. He's really sharp. It's going to really help out the self-employed borrower who wants to do a jumbo loan. And in addition, as a broker, he has eight or nine different jumbo lenders he can go to. So he's a non-delegated underwriter. That, what that means? That's that, nice. It is nice. And what he explained to me is it means he can put a deal in front of seven or different eight right. under, seven or eight different underwriters, get approval, and get the best possible rates for your jumbo mortgage loan. Most folks can't do that for you, and frankly, most mortgage brokers don't have the sophistication to demonstrate income and, and show those non W two traditional uh, income streams that help you get a jumbo, jumbo mortgage. So, whatever it is, I'm just throwing that out for the the higher end jumbo crowd. If you're out there, also firmly in the middle class, like a lot of us and you're just out there and interested in getting a phenomenal deal, Gabe is the guy to call, 832-557-1095. And now we can talk about the drum and Shaka and the uh, drum beats of his firing. Are they fading, Kevin? Yeah, well, um, speaking of Gabe, I mean, G Gabe's a Texas ex. Gabe's been at the drum when it's packed. Gabe's seen crowds, and the crowds have just been gone. No crowd last night for 19th ranked or 20th ranked uh, West Virginia 
coming in after they destroyed Texas before. You know, Shaka had not won three consecutive games in Big 12 play since his first season. That's probably not surprising given that he's well under 500 in Big 12 play, right? Yeah, he, you, you're right about that. But but still, I mean, you, you, we kind of got spoiled, obviously, with what maybe at times Penders did. And then obviously Barnes, who's the best coach in, in Texas basketball history, take that for what it is, uh, that that still, even with the three-game win streak, and, and Texas is actually still alive for the NCAA tournament. Um, I mean, that, 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 that's a possibility. And the reaction I saw from Texas fans, there's all types of reactions. There's a lot of fans, obviously. And some are, you know, you got to give Shaka some credit. You guys have been bagging on him. Well, yeah, I mean, not because we want to, because the team hasn't looked well coached. Do you give them credit for the last three games, especially with the amount of guys they've had out? Absolutely. Um, But I also get the sense that some Texas fans are worried that he may save his job thinking that the betterment of the program, that it's it's not, you know, that he's not the guy and he's already proven that. Uh, it it kind of gets into the psyche of a fan. And so if you're a UT fan and you're like us and you grew up your whole life loving him, maybe you went there, maybe you didn't, but you are just a lifelong Texas fan. You're in it for life. And so sometimes you do think about the overview and – it may sound kind of weird, but it's almost as if some of these Texas fans are worried about the three-game win streak and what may happen after that. I would say they're worried potentially for good reason, but I actually think that we may be able – I think that little win streak may be a gift and that we may be able to middle this thing. And what I mean by that is we may be able to move Shaka to another program. Yeah, that was kind of the hope a couple years ago, was it not? Or last year even. I think it was, and and – because the fear, and, and again, I can go on and on about this, and I don't want to get into a, a tangent, but once again, we've negotiated a contract very poorly. So Shaka doesn't have a buyout. His contract is fully guaranteed. Right. Ten just, and a half million. Like Charlie Strong. Yeah. And that is a huge benefit to smaller, less well-funded programs. And so in a way, if Shaka can save face, with a respectable final season at Texas, and you have this incentive of a guaranteed contract, which you, as, as a smaller, minor program, maybe, than, than, or at least in terms of coffers of what Texas has, money, uh, you can get financial relief by hiring him. But you also get the coverage of saying, hey, look, Shaka is a great coach. It didn't work at Texas, but you know he's still that hot commodity. You can sell that to your fan base. And that's how maybe a Wake Forest or a Clemson becomes a possibility. So we don't want Shaka and this basketball program to bottom out entirely. First, just because of pride and I want Texas to win. But also, I, I don't – look, I think the writing is on the wall for Shaka. And if, and if it's not, then I think we need – I need to rethink my opinion of our administration and our, and our athletics and what our goals are. But I think the, there could be a nice – just right Goldilocks solution where he kind of wins enough to save face and then Texas can move him on and that makes him a little bit more attractive yeah that would be ideal and and look I I've sold I sold this team like a lot of Texas fans but I'm loving loving the fact that they're obviously putting this together I mean it's it's watchable basketball they're they've been playing hard all year but for the fact that some of these guys like Baker Ham Cunningham are stepping up and, and doing doing whatever part they need to do, 
is uh, it's good to see and all that. I, I don't think Shaka's the right guy for the job, but I, I will say the only time as a Texas fan, and it wasn't like watching the game where I'm rooting against them, but when Kansas lined up for that field goal in Lawrence and it went through, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a huge sense of relief. Yeah, I, my immediate response to that was thank you. Yeah, mine too. And I wasn't and proud of that, but that that's kind of the psyche we're talking about. And you and I love well, Texas. And to give uh, the listeners the full beating of that Kansas experience in the end of the Charlie Strong era, that was a 2-9 and nine Kansas team. Texas lost 24-21. And uh, I actually looked up the box score because I think I'd blocked it out. And, of course, we all remember <laughs> Charlie Strong tried to kill Deontay Foreman. He had 51 carries. That's 5-1. Oh for 250 God. yards, he fumbled twice. He had 51 and, carries. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't remember that? I I remember it being a lot. Not 51. 51 carries for 250 yards. You got to remember though, like post game in the next week, no one was breaking down the game. It was all who's the next guy and a, and all that. That was a burn the film game. Yes. And, and so I went back. And the other thing that struck me was Bouchelle was the starting quarterback. Threw three interceptions, including a pick six. So Texas had five turnovers on the road. One of them was a pick six. One of the other interceptions Bouchelle threw, I think, got returned 30 or 40 yards and set up Kansas. And uh, the UT defense actually played pretty well in that game, but they just wore down and, and five turnovers. That's hard to overcome on the road, even against a pathetic team. Also, the coaching, not exactly the best in the world, but it was a blessing. And I, re- I immediately wrote an article about it saying, hey, Thank God. Thank you, Jayhawks. This is what we needed because, believe it or not, even in that 11th hour, there were people getting cold feet on doing what needed to be done with Strong. Mm. Yeah, and that's the worry that I sense from some Texas fans about Smart. Yeah, I look, I, you got to look at the totality of his time here, the whole five years. you got to look at the fact that West Virginia was is a 7-8 and eight team in conference play, just like Texas, sub-500. West Virginia is 19 and nine overall. I think they're getting a little bit of a ratings and rankings bump because of Bob Huggins, because they're a familiar name. I think if you look a little deeper in their resume, even though they've got some good sort of RPI, uh, you know, sort of stuff. If you look at them with a critical eye, that's not a great basketball team. It's not even a particularly good basketball team. So I I just think, look, we'll see how the the year closes out. But to me, the book, I think if you're, objective about Shaka Smart in totality, the choice that you have to make is obvious. The hope now is trying to lure a suitor to help give some financial relief to Texas. Yes. Yep. Like I said, that that would be ideal. Do, do you still swallow it if you can't get that and it's three years, ten and a half million? I mean, I, I think you have to. You can't just watch the, bot- the basketball program bottom out. Well, especially because CDC's had time. I would think someone is lined up. I don't know. I don't either. I mean, I, I, he just had enough time to really talk to agents and, and work the system to have or at least have a pretty good feel for, for who would take it and who wouldn't. Yeah, I, I would just say that whoever we hire, uh, and I say this as a former history major with a business foundations minor, Kevin. Oh, I you got and I both have. Yeah. <laughs> How much has that helped us in our lives? Oh, uh, you throw it on a resume and then they ask you about it and you're just real vague. Yeah, and you're like, I kind of took a finance class and a marketing <laughs> class and an accounting class. I can read a balance sheet. That's about all I got. But, uh, yeah, I was a former history major. I, I 
you know, was in, in the corporate world. I did start my own business. I have some basic business acumen. Why is it I can negotiate a better contract with our coaches on these guaranteed and, and you know, salaries and, and no buyouts and all this stuff? How is it possible with all the resources of Texas that I have better common sense in a contract than, than the folks that we're putting to bear on this? It's fair, but I mean, we're talking about an interim AD. There was no leadership. I mean, I mean, are, are we, was Perrin disabled? I mean, he's, he was not capable of thinking about these things. He's presumably a, a successful lawyer, was he not? Yeah, no, he, he very successful. And uh, I, I, mean, I, think, I think a pretty bright guy. guy. And I, I appreciate the fact that he stepped in. I mean, we, we were in such shambles then. We needed someone to step in. But yeah, the, the deals obviously are coming back to bite us in the ass. Yeah, well, he stepped in it more than stepped in. Oh, in my whoa. Hey, hey, hey. What about that? Get your, get your pen back out. Write that down. All right. I'm jotting it down, putting a star by it. I like that one. I kind of feel like you're not really – I think you're just mimicking it in the air. I don't feel like you're really doing it. That's exactly what I'm doing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. Do you have video of me here? I, I've, I've, I've been videoing you for a long time. Oh, that's disgusting. So we'll say, hey, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. I mean, Texas, they still, like I said, I mean, they just got their first three-game win streak. We'll, we'll see if they can finish out. And if they get to 10 wins in conference, I think that'd be winning the last four, then, I mean, people are playing themselves out of the tournament right now. Well, Texas is 7-8, and eight, so they got four more. If they, if they go 3-1, and one, that's 10-8. and eight. They're going to make the NCAA tournament, probably. Yeah. Uh, if they split it, eh, it'd be interesting. If they go one and three, obviously they're out. So who knows? And like I said, I, I, hope the, I hope the play is that we let Shaka go, we save some face, and we allow another program to hire him out. I'm with you on that. So, hey, uh, we've talked about it. You're, you're a big combine guy, right? I like the combine. Uh, I think it can be nonsense. I mean, the, the fact that they are now videoing every event and you have breathless NFL analysts examining some guys 40 and, and talking about it, but it's fun. It's, it's become, uh, I don't know. It's just become a vital part of the off season. And it's fun to see these incredible athletic freaks move, jump and, and run around the way that they can. So they've come out with measurements and that's some, I mean, I'm with you. I like watching them as the freaks kind of obviously run the 40, the shuttle, some stuff like that. Uh, I do think you can take stuff out of the vertical. I know you've always had a really good point about that. But some of these measurements, I mean, hand size was the big thing that everyone's been talking about the last couple of days. Burrow has a nine-inch hand that's not abnormally big. You've got Tua who's got a ten-inch hand for a guy who's only six feet, so he's got really big hands. Uh, how big of a hand guy are you? And I don't mean sexually. <laughs> oh my God! The intro should have this for this 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 segment should have been nine-inch nails, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so look, apparently I, I'm just stupid enough to have looked this stuff up at your prompting. And apparently NFL GMs have concerns when your hand size, and I think they measure from your pinky to your thumb. That's yes. How they, yes. They're concerned if you're under nine inches. Right. So burrow at nine is not a big deal, apparently. And interestingly, guys like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson actually have really big hands. They have some of the biggest hands in the NFL. So despite their lack of stature, they're kind of like Tua. So the thought was all along that if your hands are too small, you don't have good ball security because you're not, your hands aren't big enough and strong enough to grasp the ball as hard. Kind of makes sense. And then people also say that in cold weather, 
it's uh, more difficult to get a good grip on the ball unless you can create more surface area and more mm-hmm. contact because you by having a bigger hand. That all makes sense to me. And if you told me that and you had a clipboard in your hand and you had a hat on with an NFL team on it, I'd nod and probably write it down and say, oh, that's good information. Well, they've done a study on this and they've actually tried to link hand size to quarterback performance and also hand size to turnovers. And they haven't found a correlation. No, I mean, look, I, I understand like Jake Fromm comes in at eight inches, seven eighths. And I already had questions about Jake Fromm. And, and, and I think the things you brought up are, are relevant, but this is not one of the top things I'm looking at. No, and I think – now, I would be curious to see about wide receivers. Yeah, because no, I didn't see all of the best wide receivers in the league seem to have massive hands. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins. That's true. He's, he's got catcher's mitts. So does Michael Thomas. So do you know, all these guys. But, yeah, for quarterback, apparently not, not the biggest deal – and, uh, well, I mean, first and foremost, and this is the thing they're not going to say at the, the combine coverage where they're watching people's 40 and their broad jump and all that stuff. They're not going to say the true purpose of the combine, first and foremost, and the most important thing that all NFL teams are going to do there. Medicals. The medical. Yeah. Medical and, and the interviews. I think the interviews particularly, I mean, because you, you can get those Reuben Foster type red flags, the, the kid from Alabama who is basically now out of the NFL for, for abusing his uh, significant other. He, he was a bad guy at Alabama. Everybody knew it. He went to the interviews and was apparently egregious. And I think he ended up getting sent, sent home from the combine. Yeah, I think and, he did. And uh, the 49ers <laughs> thought yeah. they, they'd still get a value out of it, and they drafted him in the first round. And then, of course, he showed up to training camp, and I was like, oh, this guy's a freak. He's going to be amazing. And then he was out of the league in a couple of years. So I think the interview, you're absolutely right. I think that's a very useful excluder if if someone is just absolutely awful. Probably the quarterback, I would guess the interview is the most important position. Yeah, I would think so too. But, I mean, you you just brought up a linebacker, and that's a a really good point. Burrow did have fun with it. Burrow uh, tweeted, considering retirement after I was informed, the football will be slipping out of my hands. Please keep me in your thoughts. That's pretty well done. (laughs) I like Joe Burrow. I do, too. I uh, like everything I've seen from him. He's, he's kind of a smartass. He's very fiery and competitive, and, uh, but not a punk. He, he doesn't get into the Baker Mayfield zone, right? Yeah. No, 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 no. He's not there yet. He's definitely – I mean, there's a cockiness to him, but you could probably call that more confident as opposed to Baker's just straight-up cocky and can kind of be an asshole. Yeah, I mean, if there's a minute and a half left in the game, you're down four, and your quarterback comes in the huddle and – talks like Woody Allen is that going to inspire confidence in you <laughs> hey, fellas uh, uh, you think we can do this I think you want Burrow to come in and go hey guys we got this let's go all day yeah you don't want you don't want Larry David coming in with two minutes to go <laughs> you don't want Larry David I mean, no, well you know we'll see I mean we'll give it a shot yeah exactly so uh well, all right so what which of these let me give you one guy let me give you one guy right now Justin Herbert the Oregon kid okay. I told you, like with some of the throws, his arm and just in the way in, he was going to kill it. And he's one of those guys. You got to be careful. But on stuff like this, people are going to fall in love. 10 inch hands, 79 inch wingspan, weighs in at close to 240 pounds. He can fly. So, six Her- foot six. yeah, six foot six. Her- they're going to fall in love with Herbert. I guess. You know, I'm wondering 
now, because remember, it used to be back in the day, your your prototype NFL quarterback was 6'3", 6'4", 220, cannon arm, stood strong in the pocket. Yeah. And we've just seen the, the position completely revamped, completely reimagined. And now it's gotten to the point where there's NFL scouts and GMs who will tell you, Herbert's too tall. Right. Yeah, he's athletic. Yeah, he could move around a little. But his radius, his, his center of gravity is so high, he's not going to move well in the pocket. So it's, it's crazy that you have these prejudices now playing the other direction. And suddenly, you know, Tua being six foot even isn't such a big deal. <laughs> kind of fascinating. Yeah, it is. You're right. And I'm not sure if, the, if it's completely reversed, but there's no doubt that there's been an inclusion of guys that don't meet the typical standards that they used to. Uh, so yep. I, it, there's, you know, the, the six foot thing. What about wingspan? Do you take, I mean, obviously with a receiver, that's a big deal. Quarterback, is that a big deal? No, I don't think so. I mean, if you have really short arms, I could see that being an issue with tip balls or something like that. But right. I, don't, I don't think that's a, a huge issue. Obviously, for wide receivers, T. Higgins, didn't he have an 81-inch wingspan when they measured? Yeah, T. Higgins is huge, and so, so is Michael Pittman, the U.S. The guy from Arizona State, who's 5'11", yeah, I think a- measured with an 82-inch wingspan. He's a freak. That, I mean, Total. that's kind of Puno Ford at receiver. Yeah, and I think Duvernay measured with the bigger or the same wingspan as Colin Johnson. But not wingspan, but arm length. Wow. Because, of course, wingspan in- includes your entire body and trunk, right? Right, yeah. So body. Johnson's going to get him on that. Yeah, but I think uh, Duvernay has longer arms than Colin Johnson. Can you imagine? No. I mean, that that's kind of uh, – that's pretty crazy because uh, we think about Johnson and his, his radius, which gets back to, like you said – overall wingspan but man those guys it's going to be tough for them and and both them as we've said Johnson needs to survive the combine Duvernay really needs to show out yeah I think he's going to run well I mean he ran a 10-300 in high school he maybe he doesn't run that way anymore exactly but dude's 5'10 200 pounds and he's going to run he's going to run a 4-4 something at least and uh you know I think that's just for, for those kind of guys, I think it's confirmatory. I, I think the concern would be if Duvernay ran a four six five, right? Then everyone goes, oh, whoa, hey. But I, you know, I don't think whether he runs a four three five or a four four two, does that really matter if you're if you're an NFL evaluator? No, I think the biggest thing with Duvernay that I keep on hearing is people think he's stiff. He's a little stiff, I think, but I think he got better as a senior in terms of that. Yeah. No, I, I do too. I mean, look, he got a hell of a lot better the last couple of years, and and I, I didn't, I had no problem with his wiggle, especially the last year. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the, also the thing that I think people have to look at, particularly the way the NFL has moved with getting the ball in, in receivers' hands and letting them try to run through tackles and do things with the ball in space. Duvernay ran through a lot of guys, including Grant Delpit, who's going to be pretty high on the draft board for a lot of teams. He, he was a difficult guy to tackle. He ran like a running back, and he might not have that niftiness and cutting ability, but if you try to come at him with an arm tackle, he's going to run right through you. Yeah, the receivers, I mean, they're definitely the ones that I want to watch, and I'll be checking them out. So, yeah, I mean, it, look, they, they've turned it into a show, and rightfully so. I, I think that there's, there's open space right now on, you know, in the sports world, and they, they've really kind of taken some of that vacuum. Yeah, well, I, I think – one of the things that I read is that Henry Ruggs, the receiver from Alabama, a lot of people think he's going to be able to go below 4-3. 
Yeah, Ruggs is the is the Vegas favorite. Yes, it's come to that point. Vegas favorite to win the 40. That's so great. Yeah, because, I, I mean, what's crazy, though, is I think people can overestimate that and get a little carried away. I mean, look, there's no question having Deshaun Jackson or uh, Tyreek Hill, that level of speed, I understand that that, that changes the defense. It's game-breaking, all that. There's really not a big difference between on a football field wearing pads, four three five and a four two five. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. It's just a question of speed. And and but we, we see that and you'd think NFL people'd know better, but John Ross comes out of Washington a few years ago, runs a you know, a four two four or something like that, or a four two two, and suddenly he moves five or ten spots up in the first round. And, you know, it hasn't really he hasn't really panned out in the NFL. So I think the receivers, and if you look at the best 10 receivers in the NFL, they all, they all can run. But if you took their average, it's about a four five, you know, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not just, it's all it's receiving is a, a lot about a lot more because when they try to correlate 40 time to success, it just doesn't pan out all, that, that often. No, it doesn't. And, and there's something to go with quickness too. And, and separation and, and separation isn't all 40, especially some of the routes that you're running. The other thing I'd like to throw out is really pay attention to the 10 yard split, particularly when you're looking at any sort of lineman, offensive line, defensive line, that first 10 yards of the 40 yard dash is far more important than the rest of the 40. And there are guys who can run, you know, a one seven, 10, you know, a six foot six, 330 pound guy. And then the rest of his 40 is a five, three, five. Yeah. But that one seven split should get your attention because that guy, he's got get off Rep. and we don't really care what that offensive tackle is doing lumbering 25 yards down the field. No, 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 not, not at all. Um, it, that, that's definitely one to watch. I mean, some of this stuff is kind of bullshit and, and just for TV and there is some stuff that you can draw from it. And you've always talked about the, the vertical and, um, and getting someone's vert. Why is that so important? What else can you draw from that? So the vert is your genetic potential for explosiveness. So you'll see scouts, and I mean NFL scouts, I mean scouts at the, who work for some of the big companies like 24-7 or Rivals. They'll say the purpose of a vertical, and I've heard this on interviews, I've seen it in their write-ups on, on players, the purpose of the vertical is to show their high point catchability. That is not what a vertical is to demonstrate to a, a smart evaluator who understands this. You're trying to evaluate their innate genetic twitch their explosiveness. And it's, it's more important the younger you are because it demonstrates what you can be. So at the NFL level, the vertical is, is less important. It is important because it's a demonstration of your quick twitch, right? So it won't surprise anyone to know Odell Beckham has a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical. No. Right? Or Vernon Davis, that freak tight end back in the day. Right. Uh, he had a 42-inch vertical at like 260 pounds. I'll give you one. I don't even know what it is, but I've seen him go up. Tyreek Hill. Yeah, all those guys. I mean, and you're not, that's not surprising, right? 40 and vertical are often co-linked. But what's interesting is at the high school level, you'll see a guy who's never been in a weight room, who's six feet, 160 pounds, right? Skinny calves, skinny legs, he's a stick. And the guy has a 38-inch vertical lead. Well, what does that mean? So people say, well, I guess he's sneaky strong or he's doing his legs. No, it's, it's not a measure of his leg strength. It's a measure of its innate explosiveness, your, your power. It's your ability to, to move strength over time. 
So even though that guy isn't even strong yet, he's already powerful. And that is something that as an evaluator should get you very excited. And so that's something that smarter evaluators who are really going through some of those three stars and looking at some of those sparks, they'll go look for that guy that everyone writes off as being too skinny or too small. Yeah. Because what they see is that 38-inch vertical, even though the guy's not even strong yet. What's right. going to happen to his explosiveness when you actually get him strong? Because all the vertical is is strength displayed over a time period. And the more strength you can display in a short amount of time, the more you're genetically capable of building out your twitch. And that's why a running back who's got a 27-inch vertical, who might be super productive in high school, he's already maxed out. He's done. He's not going to get better. Interesting, man. Interesting. Yeah, it it, it makes sense. But uh, you were the first one to kind of get me on that and – once I started reading about it and thinking about it, I thought, yeah, it, it makes complete sense that you can extrapolate a little bit. And like you said, the younger, too, you always talk about some of these East Texas kids, Denzel Mims, who I'll be curious to see him, his measurements look good, that once you get weight on them and, and they start really eating like a college athlete, that stuff can come quickly. Yeah, it's it's a big deal and it's a great predictor. Now, it's not the, the sole predictor, but – it's very useful, and that's why people measure the vertical leap. The other reason, the other reason that, and just looking more broadly at the tests that they apply in the NFL Combine, that's the three-cone drill, the vertical, the broad jump, which is more just an expression of strength, right? Pure leg strength, lower body strength, uh, also relative to your weight, obviously. Uh, they also do bench press, which we can talk about. And, of course, they do drills and all that stuff. Well, the reason they're using these tests is to identify certain traits and attributes with the least potential for injury. So would it be more useful to illustrate strength for a football player by having them max their power clean or max their squat or max even a deadlift? Yes. Can you do those safely maxing them with a big group of guys who are hyped up and want to show out for the scouts? And I'm going to, I've never squatted 675, but I'm going to try it today. Right. No, you, the, the first rule of the combine is like the first rule of a physician. First, do no harm. Yeah. So that's why the beauty of the vertical leap is there's no other singular test which can demonstrate innate genetic explosiveness more safely. No one's going to get hurt. Broad jump. Hey, instead of having this guy squat, instead of having this guy deadlift, I'm going to have him just jump out as far as he can. At least I'll get a little bit of a glimpse of his upper body, I mean, lower body development. Bench press. So bench press is simultaneously the most overrated, but now underrated sort of exercise for football players. Because 225, right? 225. And why do they not, why do they do 225 instead of having these guys max? Well, because of the safety. Safety. That's it. You and I can take 225 off the rack and do as many as we can. And when I was younger and I actually did bench press, I could have done 14 or whatever it was right. back when I could bench 305. Now I, I don't even know how many I could do, right? But part of the, the beauty of that is you're not going to get harmed. You're not going to hurt anybody. And I think it's actually just a way also of looking at preparation. Because if you've got a guy who's a linebacker and he benches 225 11 times, you're gonna, you, you should have some concerns. Yeah. Right. You need no, to look a little deeper. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think there's probably more red flags to take out of it 
And then you also have to balance it. I mean, if Charles Aminahue with those damn long-ass arms, our, uh, our former intern here, if if he's not doing as many, well, you do understand if you've got longer arms than some Nebraska guard who's just going choo, 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 and, you know, just pretty much working his triceps. Yeah, do you remember Steven Paella? He was a nose tackle from Oregon State. Vaguely, he, yeah. He did 225 like 52 times. And so there's such a thing, I think, as strong enough, which is if you're an NFL guard and you can bench 425, you're strong enough. Yeah. It doesn't, you're not going to get that much more effective benching 575. And in fact, all the time that it took to progress from 425 to 575, you could have spent that time on technique, on your lower body, on running, agility, all those things, agility, all your footwork, all those things would have benefited your game much more than that hard, hard work that it took to get from 425 to 550 or whatever it is. Hey, real quick, I I just was looking this up out of curiosity, but listen to this. It's so ridiculous. There's a dude, a power lifter named Julius Maddox, who goes 6'3", 440. Oh, my God. And when you see him, he's a big dude and, and, you know, obviously has a gut and everything. You wouldn't describe him as like a fat ass. 440. He's 6'3", 440. He just sent the uh, world bench press raw bench press uh, record 765-pound bench. Oh, he's a forklift. 765. That's nuts. I mean, how many spotters do you have? I mean, hopefully a a couple, and hopefully those two dudes can each bench 500 pounds. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's also the amount of weight. I mean, that's a, I mean, not that. I mean, believe me, that's half of that is dangerous. But that's an amount of weight that if you don't quite get it, and that bar starts to drift towards your neck, you could kill yourself. It's crazy. Oh, absolutely, you could. You could obviously. I mean, I've I've heard of stories of guys breaking their chest. I've gotten pinned. Did anything yeah, happen? I was in high school. No, no. I was doing. Uh, I was benching two twenty five or something, and it was my last set. I was trying to do five or six. And I was like a sophomore in high school, probably right after I went to that WWF, uh, Mr. Perfect match. But and you realize you're going to be fighting adults the rest of your life. That's right. I knew I was going to have to fight old men at the age of 15 for the rest of my life. But uh, I, it was one of those deals where you, you think you can get that last rep and I could not get that last rep. Oh, so yeah. Thank God. I had not put the collars on the, the two forty-five plates on each side. So I did the thing where you, just You'd lean it one way, off. And, yeah. the slide out, and then it jerks back the other way, and then, and then you jump up and try to play it off like it didn't just happen. It happened in a commercial gym, by the way. Yeah, that, that's not safe, kids. I mean, it, it's, it's the best thing to do at that point. But Well, you know, and here's the other thing. is Something has happened to our society where people don't know how to spot anymore. Have you ever have you, – do you lift weights anymore? Or do you, have you been spotted recently? I have not. I used to lift, and I love lifting, and I, I've been out of it. And I want to get back. I mean, it's kind of one of the funny things about once you get older and, and if you've got some uh, – just some physical stuff that's bothering you, you realize, oh, wait, I can't do it now. And I was actually told not to for a little while, and now I can kind of lift light, so I'm getting back into it a little bit, but not enough to where I've seen spotters. What's changed? It's – I mean, it used to be, or at least it was understood in, in our era, that you stand sort of back, 
right? You kind of are at the ready. You're watching the guy. Yeah. You might give him a lift off. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And then when he's ready, you take kind of a little step back. And then as he starts to struggle, like really struggle, like it, it's not going up anymore. It's starting to even out. Then you lightly put your fingers on it and help him. Yeah. And when you say fingers, right? I was just thinking that I was like, I remember some where it's like an index finger or even you get two, yeah, yeah. two you know, two fingers and you just kind of help them. Very slowly, I mean, because a lot of times at that point, it could just be your triceps are burned out. Yeah, that's a good. But what, so what happens now that I keep seeing, and I'm like, am I, have I lost my mind? As the guy takes it off, he puts his hand on the bar, and from your first rep on, he just, like, has his hands there. Oh, man. With his crotch directly over your mouth and nose. Yeah, I'll pass on that. Well, that was the one part that was appealing. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, maybe I've lost my mind. And you guys weigh in on that. Let us know if we've completely lost our mind in the comments. But, yeah, or uh, if that's just San Francisco. It's, you know, I think we learned something. <laughs> I think we learned how naive I am. I like to pretend I'm the skeptical cynic who's always, like, knows the, knows the score. But I think we just learned that I've been getting baited. Uh, you have been. You know who else has uh, been getting the raw end of the deal? Who's that? That'd be the NFL players. And, you know, you think about the unions and just how strong Major League Baseball's union is crazy. I mean, those guys, if, you, if, you, if you're in for 60 days, you get free health care for the rest of your life. Now, I understand that the health care is going to be different from the NFL, and I don't think those guys should get everything they want. If you, if you listen to me, I've been accused of being not pro-player enough in this very pro-player era. Well, no, I'm always for the betterment of the sport, so I want to weigh it out as evenly as possible. Baseball players have too much power. Basketball players probably have too much power now. Football players don't have enough. If there should be one sport that has some form of guaranteed contracts, maybe you have to play for a little while, it should be the NFL. I mean, they, they've, got, they've got a bank that they, they could be their own country right now, and it seems like these guys, as we get a CBA coming up, it just seems like they, they don't end up winning a lot of these. Yeah, I, so some of it's just structural and the structure of the game itself, right? Yeah, roster size because, and all that. Well, the roster size, you got 53, you know, versus how many guys are on a baseball roster, major, major league baseball? Uh, you'd have 25 to 30, I mean, depending on what time of the year. Okay, and then nine are playing, and then you've got a pitcher, right? right. Basketball, then, obviously. All you can job of the twelfth man on the bench is to shut up and get Gatorade for guys and like cheer hard when they hit a three, right? There's a so, reason it's called the Jack Haley Award. There's a reason it's called that. Your your job is to be a good teammate when you're number eleven and twelve on that bench. Uh, you have a shorter career in the NFL. It's more violent. Your your, your career is going to end by injury. Let's let's be clear, probably. And there aren't any other options that are particularly viable. I mean, the XFL is going to be interesting if it proves out, but think of the options available to an NBA player who doesn't want to take a reduced salary. He could go play in Europe and make great money. Yeah, there are a lot of guys, a lot of baseball players that have resurrected, uh, resurrected their career and made some good money in Japan. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a common thing. They, they want American power, right? They, yeah. they seek those guys who can jack it over. Yeah, that was close. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, that I didn't say Jack. I didn't say Jack me over. No, you're right. I'm I'm, I'm glad you didn't after your previous statements. Uh, yeah, but it's 
I'm having a tough time today with innuendo, Kevin. Uh, Yes, you are. But, yeah, I mean, it it does seem like that they would get uh, some form of guaranteed contracts, and I think their biggest thing needs to be focusing on that, trying to get as much guaranteed money as possible, and then also health care. And, you know, I do think maybe a side issue – is going to be pot, and I'm I'm pro pot, and I think it should be legalized. Definitely, that's going to come. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't spend too much of my bargaining on that. No, I, I don't think they have. Uh, I hope they don't, because that would be a, a foolish chip to sort of play. That it's an easy thing for the owners to concede. But I think they've already made alterations to that policy. They have, right? No, so it, I, it's, it's already moving that it's moving that direction. Well, true, but you know. Tying it back to the combine briefly, remember how guys used to plummet if they had a positive marijuana test? Warren Sapp? Oh, yeah. Sapp. Sapp fell out of the first, what, three picks of that draft? He went down to the 20s or something for Tampa Bay? Yeah, it was a steal for Tampa. Yeah, and that was for for pot. So imagine that just 10 years, you know, 15 years later, how much that perception has changed. Yeah, I mean, think about about Josh Gordon's career. Well, he's an addict. Oh, I agree with that. I completely agree with that. Um, no, I mean, jo- Josh has a problem, and we've talked about balance and everything in life. Uh, but it, he probably wouldn't have he wouldn't have got as many strikes as as he has right now. But yeah, I mean, for the guys like Sap, maybe they were just smoking a little bit in college, and it's like, no, I'm I'm going to go work my ass off and and be a baller. You end up getting a steal. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. They they shouldn't spend their powder on things that are going to move their direction anyway. I, I'm not going to really push back, but I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. I'm not trying to be the man because I am. I want players to get paid. I'm pro player. I would say lifetime medical. I would never sign that check if I'm an owner. Oh, I don't think I don't think there's going to be anything that's at, that, that's all the way on this. So when I said guaranteed contracts, I'm talking guaranteed mm-hmm. contracts. Maybe after four or five years in, when I'm talking healthcare. Yeah. I'm talking maybe it starts in your 40s and there are certain limitations. But uh, they've got enough money. There needs to be some thought about about players, even for the optics of it. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. And I think the NFL, to their credit, has beefed up some of the medical. I think the question is, what about the effects of the game down the road? And I don't you don't you just don't want to give anyone a blank check for medical because that can that's really just a, at a cost that could be effectively open-ended, right? It's uncapped. Yeah. But I would think you want to create some sort of funding device where each individual player controls a bunch of money that can be applied to buying their own medical care, which will f- effectively transfer that risk from the owners to HMOs. I like to that. That's a large good, medical companies, that's right? A, that's a great idea. And so that's, to me, the solution that I would fight for as the players and for the owners, and the owners would be happy to do that because you, you, you get rid of that unfunded mandate and you don't have that open-endedness hanging over your heads. I'd say for guaranteed contracts, I'm going to argue because I know people always like to hold up the NBA as the, 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 the apogee of woke sports, right? Yeah. But I think we're starting to see the backlash on that and the effects of some of that because remember, guaranteed contracts were really criticized and hated in the 2000s when you had the Sean Kemp's and the Stephon Marbury's and all those guys who could destroy a franchise with their guaranteed money and, and not performing and, and, you know, kind of not being interested in basketball. Thankfully, you had this run of Kevin Durant and LeBron James and all these guys who 
for in it to win it. But what you're seeing is this free agency, this de facto free agency that's inspired by this guaranteed money where guys are signing huge deals with Kyrie Irving with the Celtics, right? Yeah. Or, or, or Kyrie Irving with the Cavs. Yeah. Right. And then they're saying, yeah, I'm just not happy here. Yeah, I'm not going to play. Look at, I mean, God, Kawhi Leonard. Sorry, Spurs fans, but that's the ultimate example. The guy basically said, no, I'm just going to sit out. And he sat out. The Spurs suffered. Kawhi goes where he wants to go to the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks. What am I saying? Uh, uh, he goes to the Toronto Ram- Raptors and wins them a title. So I, I think there's a downside to some of that. But I think you're right. You need to have a blended model that better combines guaranteed money with contractual money because – the NFL team can just flat out cut your ass yeah. and not pay you. That's tough. Especially in that sport, and that's where you maybe even connected to, well, look, we cut the guy because he's had concussions because he's put his body out there for us. We didn't want to cut him, but we also had to save 7.2, where, I, where you could even attach it if it is something that is injury like that where they can cut him, he gets the money, and you don't get burned for the cap. That's a good point. You know – I wonder if some of the help on some of this in raising all the boats, right? A rising tide lifts all boats will be the XFL because the ratings have been pretty encouraging. I don't know if you know, but in week three, all, all, like several XFL games outdrew Kansas Baylor, which yeah. was the premier college basketball game. Then the premier NBA game was Milwaukee, Philadelphia. And the XFL outdrew both of those games. Now, they weren't NFL numbers, but you're getting – two, three million viewers, that's legit. And so what if you had a legitimate minor league NFL where players can make between 250000 to 750000 a year? Yeah, it's got a ways to, to get there, but I think it could get close to that. Yeah, I, I hope it does because I want more options for football players. And the other part, too, this kind of dovetails with, we're talking about the institutional aspects, but there is an aspect of personal responsibility and you and I are going to sound like the old fuddy-duddies here, right? We're going to get the OK Boomers on this. Right. But, you know, if you do know that your career is limited and it can end tomorrow with a, a horrible ACL injury that, you know, you're, you do the whole thing, right? ACL, MCL, the whole deal, right? Where it's not going to be easily, you can't just come back with some regenicine. I just feel like it's very important for you to understand. I know it's difficult to tell a 22-year-old guy not to buy four cars or not to have three houses and all that stuff. But yeah, and by the way, this goes for actors, musicians, anyone who's young, who's making a lot of money, who's an entertainer. Across the board. I just think, and I know the NFL tries to do this, but I just think there needs to be more education about around that sort of financial management. And unfortunately, a lot of these guys get robbed by family members, by agents, by Bad investment guys. and clingers. Yeah, bad money. I, I, uh, there's a lot of bad money guys. I mean, evil money guys out there too. Exactly. Well, and there's a lot of evil guys. There's a lot of evil people in their families and hangers on and people that will get power of attorney and uh, bankrupt this guy. And I, I think there's an example of a hockey player recently, famously, that his parents got power of attorney and basically ran up. Not only spent all of his money, and he was he had a huge contract. But uh, his name is Jack Johnson, the same as the singer. Oh, I and love Jack Johnson. He um, not only did the family spend all of his money, they took out something like $50 million in loans. Oh, God. And then passed it to him. 
Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like you almost need, you know how the, the CBO is the Congressional Budget Office? They're a nonpartisan group that will evaluate the cost of plans. So when politicians promise us a bunch of bullshit, the CBO will actually come in and say, no, this is what it would cost. Yeah. Right. I almost feel like the, the NFL needs a CBO who goes and audits players' financial lives every year and presents a balance sheet to the player and just says, are you aware this is what's going on? Yeah, I, 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 that's a great idea. And I, look, I, I think some teams have, have taken this seriously and they'll bring guys in. But like with anything, you can you know lead a horse to water. You can lead Paul to wherever. And uh, you just, you know, it, it doesn't mean that, that Paul's going to do the right thing. Let me just put it that way. You could lead Paul to wherever, and it doesn't mean Paul will do the right thing. Right. There are just you too, and I are, there are too many options there. You and I are the analogy game today. Oh, I know. I know. Just getting, uh, we're getting destroyed. I thought you were going to say lead no Paul boy, to no. sugars. What's up? I thought you were going to say lead Paul to sugars. <laughs> hey, you know, the I, someone told me the Red Rose is back. Red Rose? I only know about the Yellow Rose. What's the Red Rose? Remember as a kid, there used to be the Red Rose and the Yellow Rose? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, apparently the Red Rose is back, man. We'll have to go I knew with- the Yellow Rose because it was near Richard Lord's boxing gym. And when I used to box, the uh, fair number of those dancers used to come in and work out. Okay. And it uh, it added to the ambiance of the uh, Richard Lord's boxing gym quite a bit. Yeah, I can picture you like hitting the bag a lot harder. Got a big fight this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I was quite passing as a pro, but uh, yeah, I think I definitely hit the heavy bag harder and, you know, pretended like oh, that was the ninth round. I guess I'm done. You know, it was like a minute in, but yeah, it was, yeah, that was an interesting cast of characters. We'll have to talk about that. Talk about Austin nostalgia. Yeah. Richard Lord's boxing gym on Burnett Road, 120 degrees inside is basically a Quonset hut. Had some really good fighters out of there, like Jesus Chavez and some other guys. And uh, really eclectic, neat cast of characters. Everyone got along. You had frat boys training for Fright Night. You had Yellow Rose dancers. You had near billionaires like uh, Richard Garriott, who was the founder of Origin Systems. He's one of the early guys that went up to space on a private commercial. Yeah, he he was boxing there? Oh, yeah. Super nice guy. Very approachable. uh, Gibby Haynes from the Butthole Surfers. Do you know who that is? <laughs> yes. Gibby Haynes used to work out there. And you know what? Not a, not a natural fighter, but actually a good athlete. He was a legit 6'5". Huh. And he was a former college basketball player. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, obviously a really and good athlete. If you know anything about that band, they are one of the most insane, bizarre bands that has ever, as you could guess from their name, uh... Uh, the original name of their band was the inalienable right to Fred Astaire's anus. <laughs> oh my God. So, so they actually <laughs> cleaned it up a little bit. They cleaned it up a little, but uh, y- you know how people always say, I, you know, I don't give a F right. I D A F. Right. But they always do. Gibby Haynes doesn't did not give an F. I, I admire but, people like that. And, and, and a good, in a good way, like a good guy, but just didn't care. And uh, it was amusing. But that that had a fascinating cast of characters. Amy from Amy's Ice Cream. If yeah. You guys love. Yeah. A bunch of interesting. And, of course, you had frat guys, fight, you know, training for fight night. That's how I did it. You know, I ended up fighting in fight night. I was the I ran fight night one year. And uh, that's how I got involved. And I liked it. And then 
ended up doing a couple of other amateur fights, but I realized very quickly when I started a corporate career that <laughs> explaining black eyes and broken noses yeah. to my clients was uh, not good for the old image. Busted so, up lips. It's like, what were you I, doing? I, I, was, I was working out this weekend, I promise. Yeah, I was walking around like Ed Norton in Fight Club. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I wasn't exactly spitting out teeth at my desk like he does in that movie. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain why you have a broken knuckle or a big black eye and you're, you know, doing a client dinner with a, wearing a suit and tie. So. All right, buddy, we are at 105 and I got to get, uh, get out to do my other show. So had a good time. Always fun with you. And I want more fight stories. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. We'll do a little nostalgia. Remember, that was the name of the Austin Nostalgia podcast you and I once partnered. I oh, threw out. Oh, <laughs> did you really throw that we'll one out? Little, yeah, we'll have to do a little nostalgia part of this offseason. We'll, we'll have plenty of sports talk, but we'll talk about the old Austin that was. And we'll always be talking about Gabe at Mortgage Solutions. Give him a call, 832-557-1095. Mention the name of this podcast. He's going to give you an awesome deal. He's going to take care of you, and he'll give you a litany of options that are going to save you money, get you an awesome rate, and uh, you're going to be happy campers. Sounds good. Talk to you next week, buddy. All right. Take care, buddy.